Stay at home orders means that many of us are working from home for the first time, although it's not new for everyone. What was a growing trend is likely to accelerate because of the coronavirus. But what does that mean for employers and employees? And how will different industries be affected? This is Policy Outsider. I'm your host, Alex Morse. Our guest today is Liz Farmer, fellow for the Rockefeller Institute's Future of Labor Research Center and former contributor to Governing Magazine. To discuss the trends in work from home numbers, the challenges, including technological and geographic disparities, and what changes may be on the horizon. Coming up next. Hey, Liz, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm glad you're on because I want to talk about a piece you wrote for the Rockefeller Institute on how the coronavirus will likely lead to an increase in work from home. My understanding is you've been working home for a while now, so this isn't a totally new experience for you. Right. It's not. The idea of working from home isn't new, although I will say working from home with a six-year-old, definitely new. I'm, I'm sure that's a challenge. I know I've got family who are in the same predicament, but maybe you'll have some tips for us at the end of the podcast to, uh, to improve our work from home experience. I would be happy to impart whatever I can. <laughs> so moving on to what's going on in the United States, we've, we'll be hearing this term a lot over the next few months, probably years. We're, we're in the midst of a natural experiment because of coronavirus, meaning the disruption caused by the virus gives us a chance to observe things we might not have been able to otherwise. So to get a baseline, what were the work from home trends before coronavirus and the stay at home orders? Before the coronavirus drastically changed the way we, we live and work, the portion of the workforce that worked entirely from home or you know, not in an office was a small but, but steadily growing part of the workforce. In 2018, which is the latest figure from which we have census data, about 5.3% of the workforce or 8.2 million workers worked 100% of the time at home. And this is based on a particular question in the American Community Survey data. And that represents an almost 50% growth since 2005. And a lot of it is attributed to better technology, um, you know, just people are actually able to work from home. Um, you know, we have email is a lot more prevalent. We're not, you know, relying on fax machines, for example, anymore. So uh, things are more digital and therefore we can pick it up and take it wherever we're going. When you add in the people who telework, which is you, you may work from home one day a week, one day a month, all of that counts. It's telework is if you sometimes work from home then the number shoots up to 13 million. So that's about, you know, one and a, again, one and a half times the number I gave you before. So um, a little less than 8% of the workforce then works from home and or teleworks. That's a pretty significant chunk of people that are working from home. But yeah. as your piece alluded to, these numbers are, are surely going to increase. So what kind of estimates are we yeah. looking at after the coronavirus subsides? Yeah, I would be shocked if, if the numbers didn't increase from that. Um, it's, it's really hard to, to make predictions about, well, it's going to be X percent uh, or, or X number of millions of, of people. 
But if you look at some of the survey data and, and anecdotal observations that are coming out now, I mean, everything points to the fact that these numbers are going to increase. And, and why wouldn't they? The, you know, one of the things that I was struck by before all this was a survey that came out from a human resources firm called Robert Half. And they did a bunch of you know, employee and employer questions on remote work and why do you do it? Why don't you do it? And one of the things that struck me about that was uh, employers are increasingly allowing people to telecommute. But even among those who have the choice, one in four workers don't take it. And the main reasons are they think they don't have the technological capabilities to do so, and they're afraid about that their productivity will go down. And on the employer end, those employers that don't allow telecommuting, same reasons. Technology and productivity are the two biggest reasons. And so right now, we have people being forced to set those fears aside and just try and get their job done anyway. And so what I would imagine is that people are some places and employers and employees may realize those fears are unfounded or that there are some things they like about working from home. And so they may opt to do it more often. You mentioned changes, how employers are going to be looking at the workforce and it's also how employees are going to be looking at their job. And I want to get to that in just a bit, but before we do, we also talked about that there was this distinction between full-time and part-time employees, but there's another distinction. There's people who work in the knowledge economy, and they have a significant advantage over those in the service or industrial economy. And that can lead to other disparate issues, you know, especially with closed schools and kids at home. Like you had said, yeah. so, you know, what kind yeah. of problems are we looking at in that respect? Remote work is a possibility for a large number of people, but those people are primarily knowledge workers, which is people who do most of their job at a desk or over the phone, you know, that their work can be translated and transmuted di digitally. Their skill is in what they come up with and what they produce on paper, as it were. Obviously, a huge portion of the economy is in jobs like hospitality, tourism, services, any number of things, delivery services, things that where, where you cannot, where you have to be, you have to clock in, you have to show up, you have to physically be there. Teachers um, are another great example. And as you mentioned, um, a lot of places, a lot of educational institutions, K through 12 and college have abruptly shifted to trying to do this remotely. And there are, you know, the pros of that are that education is continuing to some degree. There's a lot of cons though. I mean, especially when you get into younger ages. And so um, what this is showing us is, is two main things. One, that there's a huge portion of the economy, people, the building blocks of our economy, where you can't do your job remotely. You have to show up. And so those people are extremely disadvantaged right now, as you know, evidenced by the, the record unemployment we had, 20-something million people. And then the other portion of that is internet access. We have huge gaps in, in internet access across the country. It's largely urban and rural, but even within urban communities, uh, it's, it's an economic divide. So if you are low income, it's, it's less likely that you have high speed internet or any kind of, maybe even no internet at all if you can't afford it, to be able to access your kids' in, you know, educational assignments or anything like that. And so there's a couple of huge divides that this 
remote work, remote existence experience we're having right now is really putting the spotlight on. Are you aware of any initiatives to help address those disparities? There is a, uh, I've been doing some reading about broadband funding and there is a rural broadband, federally funded rural broadband initiative that had a bunch of money put into it earlier this year. And as I recall, there is also some money for broadband in the CARES Act that was just passed in Congress. It's obviously not gonna be enough. I mean, the, the problem with our digital divide is we are pretty well expanded to where fiber is, is going to go. The reason it's not in some of these rural areas is because it costs so much to get the wire to you know per house because the houses are more spread out or maybe the geography just doesn't make it work and so you know i don't think the federal bill right now is going to help address what is that larger need at the state level there are some efforts to help businesses expand their remote capabilities maryland has a seven million dollar fund for businesses where they can have take out low interest loans to just do anything that they need to do to keep operating right now. And so a large part of that is going to be, you know, getting, getting employees in, you know, up online. We talked before about how certain jobs or how certain employers are going to be changing things. And we were looking at other industries that could possibly change. First things that come to my mind are cloud-based software, such as mm -hmm. Zoom. Everyone's on video <laughs> conference right now. One that's at risk would be commercial real estate. Right. Yeah. I mean, these buildings that house a thousand people, they're not housing anyone right now. They're going to find out that all these overhead costs aren't necessary. So, yeah. you know, what other industries might change? Yeah. I mean, commercial real estate is the one that comes up over and over and over again. And, and really, nobody can, can or is going to accurately predict what might happen. I think that's really a case-by-case -case basis, depending on who's running the show at, at the company. Um, there are a couple of, of things I'll just point out. So um, there is this thing called the Global Workforce Telework Savings Calculator. It's done by you know, one of the many companies that looks at remote work and, um, and tries to help companies facilitate that. But they do, do use census data in determining you know, their, in, in their findings. They estimate, when you do this little calculator, they estimate that when you put a portion of your workforce uh, fully remotely um, or, or part-time remotely, they estimate a savings of about 25% on office space. So that is based on the idea that you, know, you are going to be paying at, you know, for infrastructure in some ways, you know, setting up employees, um, you know, maybe you have quarterly meetings. I mean, there still are going to be real estate costs. So that's one kind of like piece of information that we might look back on later when we're trying to figure out <laughs> what's going to happen to real estate. Um, you know, another piece of information is, again, this is more anecdotal than, than really scientific, but there's this survey from a human resources firm called Gartner Inc. And they asked 317 business CFOs about what their remote work plans were after, you know, whenever we all return to normal. And three quarters of them said that they plan to offload at least 5% of their work, the, of their employees to fully remote. And then kind of the most, the one that 
held the most, me you know, seemed the meatiest for me was a quarter of these CFOs. So, you know, less than 100 said that they were going to put 20% of their employees to fully remote. And so, again, anecdotal, not scientific, but it gives you a glimpse of, you know, what companies are looking at in the future. And we can't say really how much in real estate that they're going to save, but it really should sound off alarm bells for, uh, for like you mentioned, those big, huge office buildings with just, you know, a sea of desks in front of you. I think that that sort of model companies are going to find that fewer workers need to come in all five days a week. And so why shouldn't you save some money by downsizing? Um, that has ripple effects on public transportation in terms of ridership. That has ripple effects on, you know, in a good way, potentially on the environment in terms of lowering carbon footprints. Um, you know, thinking about the healthcare industry right now, like uh, I know me being one of these people, I have done a teledoc appointment for the very first time. I had the option to do it before, but I was like, no, that's weird. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Uh, but now uh, every place is doing teledoc, right? And so things like that, you're going to see just people haven't done stuff just because eh, it's weird, it's new, it's different, but now we're being forced to do it. And we might keep that, uh, you know, post COVID crisis. So basically, like everything else in life right now, we know things are going to change. We just don't know to what extent. Bingo. <laughs> Sorry, I can't be more helpful. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, this is what we need to know. Knowing what you don't know is half the battle. Yeah. I mean, I certainly think, you know, if you're a public transportation planner, if you work in the real estate industry, uh, you know, it really every industry we possibly can think of is being affected like this from food service, especially delivery. I mean, I could go on and on. But the point is, as you mentioned at the beginning, we are in the middle of this very large, very forced experiment. So whatever industry people are in, there's tons of data to collect right now. And then how you're able to use that afterwards is going to be, I think, subjective, depending on each business, each sector, you know, a lot of that kind of depends. But I think right now it's important to know that we are getting some really, really good information in, in certain ways. I, I don't mean to gloss over the, you know, the rest of what's going on right now, but in terms of, of, you know, remote work and being experimental, there's a lot of interesting things right now that I hope people are keeping track of. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is all going to be really valuable data that is going to inform our decision making and our policies for years. With that said, let's go back to tips to help us work from home. What are some steps that we can take to help improve our work from home experience? So I would say, you know, the, kind of the most important first step for anyone is to figure out where can they really get the value out of having a quiet space. I'm assuming it's a quiet space to, to work and to concentrate because that's why you want to be at home. And I say all that with the very strong knowledge that, you know, it's, that is not always, that's not possible for some people right now, because this little, you know, situation that a lot of us are in right now is not a normal work from home experience. If you have someone at home that you're caring for, uh, or just any, you know, or, you know, we're all under stress. We're all just feeling a lot of things that we don't normally feel. So, um, you know, this, everything I'm saying is with the asterisk of in a normal world, <laughs> not in this sure. one. But, but the other important thing, and, and this does apply no matter what world you're living in, is having a separate space for your work stuff. You know, my computer, for the most part, lives in one part of the house. 
and it's it's on the dining room table. We also eat there, <laughs> but uh, but it stays there, you know, all folded up, and that's that's my workspace, and just and it doesn't move except on special occasions. And so, I think really having a physical space and then a mental space. I don't check my work email at night, or I really try not to, unless I've had something going on that day where I feel like I haven't been able to. That just you know really you know, being able to compartmentalize is, it's a skill. And once you acquire it, it makes working from home a much more efficient process. And then, then you get to do the fun things, like whatever it is you like doing, going in the garden, taking the dog for a walk. I mean, there are so many benefits to the time saved that you get from working at home that you can use to fulfill your life in so many more meaningful ways. I'd like to thank Liz once again for sharing with us the insights into the growing trend of work from home and how coronavirus will likely accelerate that trend. Liz's piece, aptly titled, Coronavirus Likely to Lead to Permanent Growth in Work from Home Ranks, can be found on our website at rockinst.org. Next week, we'll have returning guest Dr. Lee Wedanoya to talk about the impact coronavirus is having on education and what policies can help students and families stay on track. I'm Alex Morse. Until next time. What is kind of interesting about this now is like, there are so many things that are just being thrown up online that we can do now that were not available before that we could learn a new instrument. We could learn, a new, I mean, you could learn a new language before, but um, yeah, I think especially even now because we're also, we're all under such weird, extreme, stressful circumstances that taking time for that personal outlet and self-care is even more important now than it's ever been. Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, the public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The Institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following Rockefeller Inst, that's I-N-S-T, on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? Email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.